Welcome to The Best of Us, an education podcast that highlights the concepts, practices, and stories of K-12 professional learning leaders working to enhance the educator experience and bring an excellent education to all students. To get the best of our students, we need the best of our educators. And in each episode, we'll bring you the professional learning leaders who are doing just that to enable your work. The Best of Us is brought to you by KickUp, your partner for ensuring that the investments you make to increase educator capacity find their way into the classroom. Hi, I'm Jeremy Rogoff, co-founder and CEO of KickUp and the host of the Best of Us podcast. In this episode, I sat down with professional learning expert, Jim Knight. We talked about the challenges faced by instructional coaches and educators today, the concept of task conflict versus personal conflict, and the greatest opportunities facing professional learning leaders. What I admire about Jim is his ability to capture the essence of what it means to be an instructional coach, while also bringing practical tips that coaches, teachers, and leaders can use in their schools tomorrow. Jim is a founding senior partner of the Instructional Coaching Group and a research associate at the University of Kansas Center for Research on Learning. He spent more than two decades studying professional learning, effective teaching, and instructional coaching. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Jim Knight, welcome to the best of us. Great to be here. I always enjoy our conversations, so I'm looking forward to this one. So am I. Thanks, Jim. Well, I wanted to start really high level, right? We're, we're in the early innings of the 2022-23 school year. You just wrapped your national annual conference a few weeks ago. What are you hearing from educators? Yeah, so I would say um, such a good question. Um, I would say people are saying this year is going better than the last two years. And so there's a general, there's a general higher level of optimism that uh, behavior, children's behavior is really challenging in many cases. But I, I think, too, <clears throat> that um, for lack of better terms, the trauma associated, I don't want to trivialize, I don't want to trivialize trauma, but I really feel it's kind of like that. I think everybody has a, l- a little bit of uh, residual negative uh, emotional energy having gone through COVID and, and everybody's emotional, negative emotional energy is affecting everybody else. And, and I feel like people are kind of at the end of their rope emotionally and they're so there's cause for hope, but there's also the senses. Yeah, I have hope, but um, let's let's get it going. So it's 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 a different. And, and I think the trouble with this this is just my take on it. It's not a scientific thing at all. But the trouble is you're, you 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 take it personally. You don't you don't treat people as well as you ordinarily do because you're affected by all these other people around you who are also at the end of their rope. And so there's all this kind of you're being pulverized by people doing their best, but kind of struggling, giving what they're dealing with. And some of them have to deal with really difficult things. And so I think there's a kind of a, not to mention the polarization in the world right now and all those things. So there's, there's a sense in which people are, you know, people are resilient. They're picking it up. We're going to move forward, but they're, they're emotionally weary too. That's the way I would kind of put it. Mm. And kind of sounds like layers of, of trauma that educators have to deal with for themselves, for their colleagues, for their students, their families. What does that mean for an instructional coach and, and how their role shifts? Because I know that is obviously the, the focal point of your work and you are, you are an instructional coach. You've been around instructional coaches this year and, and in, in prior years. What, what does their role look like now? 
Well, what I'm doing this study now where I have coaches around the world. There's one in uh, Germany, one in Bangkok, and one in um, Abu Dhabi, and then three in the United States. And they send me little updates every, every day on what they're doing. And I, I wanted to, I can't shadow a coach every day, but I wanted to see what coaches are doing. Then I have a person who works with me who's typing up notes from all these uh, Marco Polos they sent me, little videos. And uh, what I would say, if I was going to summarize what, what's going on is, they're just doing a million things. My guy who's the research assistant who's typing everything up, he said, one thing about these coaches is they need to have a great time management because it's just one thing after another. They're like just being spun around by all the different things. One of the people said, I'm either planning for a meeting in a meeting or reflecting on a meeting I just went to all the time. <laughs> and so they're, and, and they have to be uh, able to turn on a dime. It's really, I knew this, but it's really vividly coming through because it's going to be this. And then, and then there, there's a change in management in the school, different leader is moving out. Somebody else is moving in there. There it's like, they're, it's kind of like trying to tie down a blob of mercury. Like it's so flexible and moving that it's a challenge. So that's one thing I'm seeing. And so I think that, a coaches generally, in my experience, are emotionally intelligent and they have uh, a well-defined moral purpose behind what they do. And so they're, they're going to weather this kind of challenge more than other people, but still it is extremely challenging to feel like you're just being blown around by all kinds of winds from all kinds of different directions. And I bet that makes something like the, the conference that you just hosted that much more meaningful because it gives coaches and leaders an opportunity to, to pause, to come together, to see what they're learning and share what they're learning. I'm, I'm curious, what inspired you? What did you take away from it um, earlier this month? Well, it was uh, really a wonderful experience. Um, it's our biggest conference. We had almost 2000 people when you combine online and face-to-face, 1100 face-to-face. Coaches are special people. I mean, I, I don't want to be stereotypical, but um, but if I was going to be stereotypical, it's in a really positive way. I mean, I've worked with, I don't know, maybe 150,000 coaches now all over the world. And they are always, not always, but 98% of the time, incredibly positive and supportive and encouraging. And so the one thing I took away from the conference was just the power of community. I mean, people were sharing. There, there was just an openness to any new ideas. They love to learn. Um, and it just felt great to be a part of that community. I talked to somebody who uh, works with us last week and she said, you know, when it was all over, I really wanted more days. I was sad to go home because it was so nice to be in a community of support. Mm. Was there anything in particular from the sessions, from some of the, the conversations that you heard that, that really stuck out to you as, um, as, as something that kind of could inspire other educators, or other coaches in their work? Yeah, I, I think there were just a lot of great presenters and a theme that kind of emerged was self-care. Uh, Kristen Neff was there at her work on uh, self-compassion is, I think it's seminal, you know, really important. Christ, uh, Christian Van Neuerberg, who's a good friend of mine, gave a president about moving from languishing to flourishing and what that looks like. Uh, Adam Grant was there um, virtually. And I got to interview him. He was so nice and so just kind. And he tailored his presentation to coaching, talked about the coaches on it. But he had a concept that stuck with me, two that are kind of interrelated. And one of them is to just distinguish between task conflict and personal conflict. 
And he said, often we get in trouble because we make a task conflict become a personal conflict. And once it becomes a personal conflict, you can't really talk about it. So if you can keep task conflicts a place for intellectual curiosity and openness and not make it personal, it's really helpful. And then the second thing that I thought was really, in order to do that, it's related to that concept, he says, you need to think like a scientist. You know, don't take things personally. Just be like, I'm experimenting with this. Let's see what I can do with this. And those two ideas I thought were really helpful, especially in these kind of turbulent times. Let's not let a task become a personal conflict. And let's, let's address this like scientists, where a scientist steps back with a certain degree of detachment from the situation with a heavy focus on doing what's right, what, what evidence is showing is what's right. So that, those are, I mean, there are many, many things. The Probably the, the biggest thing was... There's just something about a room full of people doing the same thing, this sort of emotional unity. And it was uh, great to be a part of it. Yeah. It's so cool to hear somebody from another field like Adam Grant come in and be able to apply something that is cross-disciplinary to the life and the work of an instructional coach and that idea of task conflict versus interpersonal conflict. I imagine that that can show up in the relationship between a teacher and a coach. You know, I'm curious... Where do you see that being applied in the, in the classroom or in the relationship between a coach and a teacher? Well, I think you can see it in all kinds of ways. By the way, it's always our goal to have a person who's not necessarily a coach person. And then we, so next year, Sarah Lewis from Harvard, who, who is going to be fantastic. She's kind of our non-coaching person. Michael Bungay Stanier is going to be our coaching person. But I think in terms of task conflict, personal conflict, Let's just say you go work with a teacher and the teacher's like um, negative towards you. You know, I've got more important things to do than sit down and talk to you. I've got to do my job. You know, it's nice you have that job where you don't have to do grading, but I don't have time. And they're, they're negative and it feels like a personal, it is personal. They direct it towards you. Well, you could take it personally and you could be kind of worn down and you could actually be kind of resentful. Or you could say, Oh, that's curious. I wonder why she feels that way. I wonder where it's coming from. I wonder if there's some need that's unmet and sort of analyze it in it. And, and we believe strongly that to be successful, the focus has to be on benevolence and not on yourself. Mm. Once it becomes personal, then it's no longer going to be a productive conversation. So if self-interest is what's driving your conversation, nobody's going to want to hear it. It's got to be, we have a, and in schools, it's clear. It's what's best for kids. That's the higher order. So, it, so that's not used as a rhetorical trick to shut people down, but it's a genuine desire. How can we better help kids? And you, you keep that principle front and center. Sometimes a rhetorical trick where somebody will say, you should agree with me because what I'm saying is what's best for kids. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you're, people can tell you genuinely want what's best for them. And uh, because of the higher purpose of education, I think that gives you a chance to think like a scientist and not, not get drawn into personal stuff. Let's focus on the task. What's a better way of reaching these students? And I think it also goes the other way. I think if I'm being coached, I need to learn that all feedback is useful. doesn't mean it's all correct, but it's all helpful. And so I can learn from the feedback and I can separate it from being personal to being ta a task conflict or focus on the, being a scientist rather than being ticked off, you know. Yeah, it's such a great reminder for a coach just starting their day for having a conversation with the teacher and thinking about what is the end goal here? It is it is for the student. It's it's not about us necessarily and and what we think is right. And all feedback 
is good feedback because it's um, you know more data for us to learn from. Right. I want to sw- right. sw- switch gears a little bit. I know you recently developed a new resource called Radical Learners. What is it? Why did you decide to create it? Tell us a little bit more about it. So our company is, um, the mission of our company is, it sounds like a cliche, but it's not a cliche to me. I may be the only one it's not, but I think our, I think our team has really embraced it actually. And the mission is excellent instruction every day in every class for every student everywhere. So we're always trying to figure out how can we intervene in a way that uh, is going to move things forward for, for children and for and we do that through a, hopefully what 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 feels like because our intent is real respectful interaction with teachers. We don't think you can have the schools you want unless you have teachers treated like the professionals they are. And so we manifest that in everything we want to do. But we're trying to figure out how can we create something that's more accessible. Like if I'm a coach in an independent school in Thailand, how do I? And I nobody's going to bring me. I mean. We're not going to have somebody come, but I want to really learn about how to be a coach or communication or how to give presentations. Where do I go? And so we set up this thing. It's really inexpensive, but the cost of two or three books and you own it for life and you can keep going back to the course over and over again. We have one for the first 90 days of coaching. We want it to be kind of like, you know, that program masterclass, but like Mm masterclass for teachers. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. It's kind of an experiment to see, but we feel, you know, covid got us all on zoom and uh, now people kind of sick of zoom, but, but I wanted to figure out, is there some way we can do asynchronous? And there are lots of other examples in other fields where asynchronous learning is really helpful, like for photographers, for example. So, so that's the idea we wanted can we make the learning more accessible and, uh, and reach more people. And, you know, it's just like trying a different thing. So you might do a conference, but you might do a workshop, but you might, it's just another way of spreading the word, you know, and we're kind of growing it. So there's, more people are going to be presenting and uh, over time we have a great way i think it's going to work we're going to you know every year we should be having somewhere between five and ten more courses and people can come and they can buy a course and that's that's how the that's what the plan is mm. one of the things i love about it is that it it uh, connects content and community i'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about your vision behind how you can continue building that community through the through radical learners and and something that might not be as um, as connected as an in person conference, but something that can still have an impact on you know your own learning community. I, I would say that's uh, that's one of the things, Jeremy, that I've learned the most in the last year is the power of a small group of people working together on things. We did a study last year on uh, creating a writing playbook for middle school teachers, and we brought together these English teachers and we worked together, and it was just so it was like learning on steroids and positive. And it was just such a great thing. And I did a similar thing around uh, some communication habits where we had focus groups. So we're, uh, so in the, in the radical learners, there's a, there's a opportunity for people to share ideas through, through a sort of online community, but with people who work with us in various ways in our virtual courses, we're looking at offering some kind of free community building activity. So probably like an open space technology where people come and say, this is something I want to talk about. And maybe we're going to schedule it once a month. It's not all worked out, but uh, we've been talking about exactly that is going to happen before too long. And, um, and just to set it up that it's that people have each other to share ideas with and learn from and support each other. You know, I, I, I think um, the beauty of, 
the virtual world is, I mean, I had a thing in the other day. So one of the people in our project, he's a coach in Bangkok. And he was having a presentation, a keynote from England from a fellow named Tom Sherrington, who wrote, wrote a, uh, a book called, um, I think it's Instructional Coaching Walkthroughs. Mm. And um, which isn't about walkthroughs. It's a walkthrough is a name for like a, like a sort of a one page document. Mm-hmm. It's not about going in and doing walkthroughs. And that week, uh, I happened to be talking to Tom about coming to our TLC conference next year. And so I was having a conversation with Tom, who's in England. I was in Kansas. Mark was in Bangkok. Tom was presenting to Mark in Bangkok. Then I saw on Twitter pictures of the people in Bangkok watching Tom's presentation, whom I talked <laughs> to the day before while he was just getting ready to give the presentation. And, and so it's possible that you can have people. For, for, and, and I know a lot of people in Australia who are really connected with people in North America now. And so we're at this point where there's the opportunity for incredible growth, I think, through community. And so we're going to try to experiment with different ways of making it grow organically. There's a structure to it. The open space technology will be our structure, but it'll be um, a chance for people to join however they want to join. And it's not meant to be, it's not a revenue builder. It's just, we're trying to structure the chance for people to communicate. So it's not a thing for sale. I think one of the things that really has drawn me to your work over the past few years is that you do work with coaches from across the world and uh, radical learn is, is an opportunity for coaches to connect with other coaches from not just the United States, but from Thailand, from Australia, et cetera. What do you see as some of the, the things that instructional coaches here in the United States could be learning from coaches across the world? Well, I think it goes either way. I mean, it, it, the contexts are pretty different. So I work with coaches in schools where the tuition is a hundred thousand per year. And I work with coaches in schools where they don't have, well, not coaches, but educators in schools where they don't have windows on the, on the walls in Tanzania, you know, at least I've met with the teachers and talked to them. So, but I, I would say there's a, there's a theme that runs through it, which is that when people honor the autonomy of the people with whom they work and when they believe in those people when they have faith in them, good things happen. And when people are told what to do and their voices are silenced and they don't feel like they're heard, it's a lot slower process. And then sometimes it's actually counterproductive. And whether you're in uh, Abu Dhabi or uh, Alabama, uh, I was trying to be alliterative there. If you feel respected and you feel that the other person thinks you're a good person and that you're, you're competent in what you do and you feel a sense of connection, then good things will happen. But if you feel rejected and your voice doesn't matter and you don't have any control, well, then it's a whole different story. So I think, I think that's a common theme across, across all settings. I mean, it's just, it's just so different that, and I, I think everybody... I would say the learning is going to be more specific. So what's the playbook for writing? That's a conversation, you know, for middle school writing or for kids in that age group, that's a conversation you could have across countries. But, Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, some of the students come with such enormous privilege in some of the schools and other kids are really limited in their opportunities. And so that's a whole different story. It'd be cool to see ways in which we could spread around that privilege a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and I imagine this, this community that's being developed through radical learners is going to develop kind of organic topics that we'll, we'll all learn from and, and see how, how educators kind of connect across those differences. That'd be great. That's, yeah. that's a great goal. Yeah. So stepping back, we started this conversation, you know, really talking about what you're seeing from educators, from coaches, and a big theme that we want to convey in this podcast is that, you know, professional learning, coaching, it really can work. It can improve teaching. It can improve student outcomes. And it's happening across the country in classrooms and schools across the country. What do you see as the greatest opportunity facing our professional learning leaders today? So, Jeremy, are you old enough to remember when there wasn't the Internet or have you always had the Internet? I remember getting my first computer when I was, I want to say, about six years old. So I have a, <laughs> a vague memory of life before the Internet back in back in the early right. 90s. LBTI, life before what? LBTI, <laughs> life before the Internet. So when I first got on, it was Netscape. So, so it would have been 1993, 1992, this friend of mine, Joe Fisher, he showed me, he says, let me show you how this internet thing works. He showed me Netscape and I couldn't believe it. I thought, God, this is so awesome. And, um, and then I wanted to show other people. And then I, I remember I showed this guy in Canada cause I worked sometimes in Canada, sometimes in Kansas and Phil Shalm. I said, Phil, look at this Netscape thing. And the next day Phil comes, his eyes are like wide open. Oh, I couldn't believe that Netscape. And then he, we had a conference and he says, Jim, just show me how to use the Netscape. How awesome that is. <clears throat> and, and I'll never forget how it felt to be able to do more. You know, it was like, it was a palpable concrete example of the joy of learning. Mm. And I learned it and then I wanted to show somebody else. And then, you know, in really amazing ways, the world opens up on the internet. It's got its downside too, but, um, you can do so much. And I think that we are wired to respond to things like that, learning opportunities. We are we want to be able to do more. We want to be able to re-perceive the world. We want to be able to do things we couldn't do before. Mm. And which is what the fifth discipline that we talked about before by Peter Senge, that's what that book's all about. And so to me, what gives me hope is if we can structure situations where people can genuinely learn, it's going to be awesome. And when teachers are learning, kids will be learning. And so at the heart of all this work of being, because an instructional coach, they're, you know, the air they breathe is learning. And so for them to be able to work with other people and, and just feel that kind of excitement of, look at how cool this is. Not like you're not doing a good job, let me fix you, but rather the total opposite. Look at this cool thing, what it can do. Here, you want to try this one? And, and then there's this mutual respect and growth and it's driven by the concerns of the teacher and, and then kids get swept up in that whole thing of, wow, look at this cool thing. I couldn't read. Now I can read. Look at this. I can have a world open to me. So that's what, that's what excites me. And that, that's what I think gives me hope is that, you know, we're seeing it everywhere. We have all kinds of examples of, of growth and development and learning when people are in a situation that's structured to promote learning as opposed to, to promote control. It, it sounds like almost the the opportunity that you see for professional learning leaders is to revisit the environment that they're creating for their educators to learn and maybe to take a step back from things like accountability and compliance and revisit, you know, why we're all here serving students, why learning is so exciting and how to inject that type of culture into the professional learning culture that they're trying to build in their schools and districts. Yeah, I'd say 
one of our big themes is that change happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. And the model, the dominant model of professional development is that it's outside in. We're going to bring mm. in some expert. He's going to tell you what to do and then you should do it. But nobody really wants to do it because they're not, it's not that they're opposed to it. Maybe it sounds like a good idea. They start to forget it pretty quickly. But if you start with what's the change I want to see in my kids that I'm not seeing and how can you help me do it and what strategies would help me do it? And it, it focuses on the thing the teacher thinks about when they wake up in the middle of the night as opposed to something that's been slammed down their throats, so to speak. Then you got a chance and then you got a chance for, and then as people get more empowered and stronger in terms of what they do, they have more skills and they can share it with other people. And there's a sense of uh, growth and development. It's pretty cool. But we would say when change happens from the, some things have to happen. I mean, you, you, it, it's not everything's up for grabs, but, but when professional learning is driven by the needs of the teacher and what they see as the needs of the students, when it starts with the student, then it's a whole different story. It just goes back to the theme of respecting the educator, right? And, and respecting what what they see as the need, um, as opposed to kind of dictating it from from on high. I love I love the concept of change happening from the inside out. So as we as we close today, what's one book or resource that you're reading or listening to? So I was thinking about this question, and I'm going to share a book that I really liked. Uh, I read it a couple months ago, but um, it's Nancy Klein's book, "The Promise That Changes Everything." And her core idea is essentially it's a whole book about not interrupting other people. And uh, there's a there's a conversational framework she has that I think is really powerful. But the biggest point of the book, she's a beautiful writer too, from my perspective at any rate. And and the whole idea of that book is to address the issues in the world, we need better thinking. But if we interrupt other people. Uh, we're not going to get that kind of thinking. So we need to find a way to, you know, do what Susan Scott says, respect the sweet purity of silence. And uh, so that's, that's a book that I'd recommend right now. Mm. That's great. Jim, this has been so much fun. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And I always learn so much and I leave inspired and I hope others will too. Where can educators, um, non-educators, where can they find you? Okay, well, I've got about three suggestions here. So first off, uh, Radical Learners. I think it's radicallearners.org or radicallearners.com. I'm not sure. Probably it might be .com. Radicallearners.com is if you, where those If you Google it, it will, it will come up. <laughs> right. Radical Learners. Right. That's one place. And then there's uh, just started a podcast. The first three podcasts are um, Michael Bungay-Stanier, Christian Van Uerberg, Zaretta Hammond. I think the next one's Dan Pink, actually. And it's... Um, you just type in coaching conversations and Jim Knight in your podcast tool. It's, it's on Spotify and it's on iTunes. And then our main go-to resource is instructionalcoaching.com. If you click on the resources section there, there are over 300 free resources you can download, videos, checklists, forms, tools. There's a little thing that says resources inside the resources. And, um, it's kind of like a junk drawer filled with coaching tools, but there's a search engine. And so you can type in, oh, I need a checklist for this. And up it'll, you know, you'll be able to find tons and tons of stuff in there. That's great. Jim Knight, thank you so much for joining us on the Best of Us podcast. It's my pleasure, Jeremy. It's always a pleasure. I'm going to have to get you on mine since I have one now too. So we'll have to, we'll have to do it equally. That's the only way way to go. Can't wait. Can't wait. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Best of Us. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the KickUp PLC at kickup.co slash PLC. 
where you'll find all the episodes of our podcast and other resources to help educators maximize the impact of their professional learning program.